0: and welcome to another episode of Romans. My name is Jonathan Chan. I'm so glad that you can join me today as we continue our journey with chapter 13. But before we begin, customarily, we start off with a video clip. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the video clip. And we'll be right back. Good morning, Roz, my succulent little garden snail. And who would we be scaring today? Wazowski. You didn't file your paperwork last night. Oh, that darn paperwork. Wouldn't it be easier if it all just blew away? Don't let it happen again. (laughs) Yes, well, I'll uh, I'll try to be less careless. I'm watching you, Wazowski. Always watching. Whew, she's nuts. I'm watching you. I'm always watching they're watching us, folks. And what I mean by they is the public. Christianity, regardless whether you're Catholic, Anglican, Evangelical, or Orthodox, is taking a beating lately, especially during COVID and especially now with the ongoing findings of unmarked graves of Indigenous children under former residential schools that were run by a partnership between Christians and the government. Now you say, John, those are Catholics. No, no, let me just refresh your history. Catholics, Anglicans, evangelicals were all part of this in partnership with the government. So we were all in this. Now, during COVID, as you know, Majority of the anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, and conspiracy theorists were self-identified as evangelical Christians. Those who propagated that the vaccines have 5G chips, or some scandal that Bill Gates is doing, or claimed that vaccines were the mark of the beast, were Christians. Those anti-maskers who marched along downtown Vancouver. most were self-identified as Christians. They even put up signs holding them up, waving them around, saying they were. Even before COVID, we had anti-soji, anti-LGBTQ, anti-abortion, and majority of them were self-identified as Christian. I remember one Christian parent wearing a t-shirt that said, anti-everything. And during the pandemic, we had quite a few churches trying to defy COVID rules. In fact, some of those churches even had the tenacity to sue the local and provincial governments, trolling health officials, bullying them, calling them names, and even threatening their lives. And recently, some of the churches hired a lawyer to monitor a Supreme Court judge just to see if he slips up in the COVID protocols. Are you kidding me? So I ask you, how's our Christian reputation lately? Would you dare to say that you're a Christian in your workplace in light of this reputation? Would you dare to say that you're a Christian in school or even mention you're a Christian during a job interview? How about trying to apply for a grant for good causes that your church is doing? Or maybe you're running a Christian nonprofit like myself. What is it like now that this reputation precedes you even though you had nothing to do with it? Look, throughout history, the world already carried suspicions and stigmas toward Christianity. From Paul's day till now, the world couldn't trust Christians. How can they? Especially when Christians' loyalty is to their ultimate King and Lord, Jesus. But throughout history, what's even worse was how it's not so much about our loyalty to Jesus that the world is suspicious of. It's our history of blemishes that preceded. Some notables. Those Christians (coughs) who supported the Nazi regime. Those Christians who supported the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Those Christians who supported the Afghan war. Those Christians who supported this questionable precedent for the past four years in the States. Those Christians who stormed the White House ready to murder governing officials. That reputation precedes us. Oh man, if only the world was suspicious of us just for the reason of being loyal to Jesus. That would be great, wouldn't it? But that's not the case now. Instead, they're suspicious of us because of our blemishes moral lapses, conflicts among ourselves, scandals in churches and amongst our church leaders and of course evangelical leaders, abuse of power, case in point, some of the churches, the big churches like Hillsong, tax evasion, spreading conspiracies, and false information and being judgmental to the point of violence toward our fellow human beings. Or even worse, it hits home even further They're suspicious of us us just because we're plain ignorant, complacent, and uninvolved with the issues and needs in our communities. But rather, we would just live with an attitude of, not in my backyard, so we're anti-everything. Evangelism is in trouble if this keeps going. That's what Paul is is addressing at the start of chapter 12. And he continues with chapter 13, which we will explore today. But first, let me just get my point off my chest today, right in the beginning. Our reputation is our evangelism. So the question is, what is your reputation? We can't begin exploring chapter 13 without revisiting the opening statement that Paul made in chapter 12. That statement serves as the fulcrum for these two chapters. And so let's read it together, starting with verse 1 in chapter 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Did you think that worshiping God only resides on Sundays or once a week at church, with some singing, preaching, maybe Holy Communion? To sit on our butts on a pew or chair, fall asleep, space out during the sermon, or just surf through Facebook and leave when done? Paul says, nope, we're wrong. The true way to worship God is to live a life that resembles holiness, self-sacrifice, and pleasing to God. A life that does not copy the bad behaviors and customs around us, such as complacency, laziness, self-centeredness, tardiness, gluttony, pride, and selfishness, but a completely new person with a new way of thinking, the way of Jesus and the mindset of Jesus. In chapter 12, Pastor Dan elaborated on what this looks like in practice towards fellow human beings and towards Christians. How we should interact and engage and treat each other, whether they're believers or, Paul would say, quote-unquote, normal people. But that's not the only relationships that should be holy and pleasing to God, is it? Our relationships with our governing authorities should also be holy and pleasing to God. For God, Paul says in chapter 13 that we'll be going into, God appointed them to be his servants to maintain order. If you recall, for Paul, evil is chaos, completely the opposite of the Garden of Eden, which was peace and order according to God's definition of what is good. So what about our governing authorities? How should we view them and how should we engage with them? And how should we submit to them when Paul says to submit to them? Well, let's jump into chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong so you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now before we jump into how do we apply it today, Let's blast into the time of Paul. When Romans was written, it was during the time of Emperor Nero's rule, the first half of his rule. Nero was a good administrator, but like many politicians today, he had his quirks and shortcomings. Namely, he favored the wealthy, overlooked some of the wealthy's corruption and questionable actions, and like every other Caesar before him and after him, He was arrogant, thinking that they were gods themselves. They also persecuted Jews and Christians alike for not worshipping them. Jews and Christians were his stain that the Caesars wanted to get rid of. So, it's interesting that Paul is telling Christians to submit to the governing authorities. Why does he do that? Why does he say that? Well, first, we have to remember throughout the letter of Romans, Paul emphasized that God hates evil and everything that is synonymous with evil, which includes chaos. Recall chapter 12. God desires all of humanity and creation to be holy and pleasing to him. And therefore, Paul says, God has established and given roles to people to be governing authorities to maintain order and punish evil. They are there to serve God this way. And second, Now that being being said, the governing authorities are to submit to God, for they are God's servants. While Paul tells Christians to submit to governing authorities, the authorities themselves must be raising some eyebrows, especially the Caesars, because they, like Christians, are to submit themselves to God, for God placed them in their positions and roles. You see, the governing authorities back then, during Caesar's time, they thought that the reason why they're there is due to their accolades, their merits, or most commonly, brute force and inheritance. Yet Paul says no. Paul says that the Caesars and all the governing authorities back then were appointed by God to serve God and to submit to God, while the Christians submit to them, for they are God's servants. Therefore, Paul says, this does not mean that governments can do whatever they like, i.e. oppress and enslave people or do evil themselves. They are God's servants and must obey God as well. Which is an interesting point for us today, right? Not too long ago in history, we've seen bad governments from Nazi Germany, Communist China from Mao Zedong till now, the apartheid in Africa, and of course, slave trade. Throughout history, we've seen people rising up against these evil governments and powers and rebelling against them. So, if we just take Paul's words here without taking into account the entire letter, we might have concluded that those recent protests in Hong Kong or those recent protests in Cuba or in Russia, that they are going against God's will. But really, in fact... These protesters are not. All governments are subject to the rule of God. You've heard about the rule of law. Christians believe that all governments are subject to the rule of God. Governments, too, need to be called into account if they do evil, for they, too, are not holy and pleasing to God. And therefore, for us Christians today, we need to be engaged to keep a watchful eye, to have discernment. know when our governments need to be told that they are going off kilter or going sideways or doing evil in the sight of God. To continue about that application for today, our local governments, provincial governments, and federal governments, and all the governing bodies are God's servants. John Horgan, uh, as of today, is still our premier. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, is still our Prime Minister. My Mayor uh, Mike Hurley in Burnaby is still my Mayor. All these governments, all these mayors, Prime Ministers and Premiers, they are servants of God. They are there to keep things in order and make sure evil does not have its way. Christians therefore have two nobles, notable things that Paul wants us to do today. First, do what is right and pleasing in the eyes of God. Paul already defined what is good in chapter 12. When we do good, we are right in the eyes of God, but not only God, but the governing authorities, because the governing authorities are servants of God. Basically, Paul is saying be good citizens with a good rapport and not follow the bad habits and customs that even the government does not like. For example, evade taxes, pay your taxes, and support those who maintain order and punish evil. Don't try to justify it saying, oh, they're overpaid or they're lazy up there. That's not for us to judge. What we need to do is obey God's command and say support to support our governing authorities to maintain good and keep evil at bay or punish evil for that matter. Second, Christians also need to be involved. You and I need to be involved, engaged, and know our scriptures well so that we know what is pleasing to God. That way, you and I would be able to discern whether our governing authorities are going sideways and doing evil as opposed to doing good and maintaining order. In Paul's day, Christians were already having a tough time. They were being persecuted and people were suspicious because they were following Jesus and worshipping Jesus alone as opposed to following Caesar and worshipping the emperor cults. They stuck out already. Paul is saying, let that be the only reason why you're being persecuted, i.e. have a good reputation. Otherwise, your bad reputation will be the reason why you're persecuted. And That's not what he wants. We too need to watch ourselves because let's face it, everyone is watching us too. Don't let a bad reputation be the reason for our persecution. Let's not be those who are quick to judge, anti-everything, protest taxes, etc. But support the good that our governments are doing. Let me say that again. Support the good that our governments are doing. And acknowledge the good they're doing so that they keep doing good. Who knows? They too may know Christ someday through our support. And that, on that note, let's move on. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Reputation. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Hey, let's go back to the beginning of this passage about oh nothing. I don't believe Paul is talking about mortgages, line of credit, or business loans here. In fact, What we have as a norm today never existed back then. They didn't have a visa card back then. I believe what Paul is saying here when he says owe nothing to anyone in line of the theme of the overall letter is don't make empty promises. Fulfill our obligations because why that's the most loving thing to do. Paul says don't be a flake if you love your neighbor. Do we have reputations of being flaky non-committal, dishonest or lack of integrity in what we say we will do? If people can't trust us, what does this say about our faith and trust in God? Having a reputation that even non-Christians disdain will not help you or I to be a light in our communities. Sure, Paul goes on to say things like wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity and moral living. You and I might say, hey, I'm clear, right? I don't even do those things because some of us are allergic to alcohol. But Paul goes on and include quarreling, jealousy, and right in the beginning, making empty promises. That should hit home to all of us. Ultimately, our reputation should be love. We should have a monopoly, the corner market when it comes to loving our neighbor. We should be the first to act, the first to respond, the first to care, the first to pray when our neighbors, our community, is in need. When tragedy hits, we should be the first to pray and the first to jump on board and support those who are caring for the victims. We should also be the first to apologize and the first to confess our sins. Our reputation, says Paul, needs to be driven by love and presents itself in love. Why? Because Jesus has already inaugurated the new kingdom and the new kingdom is breaking in. It's already here is just bleeding through in this world and everything's being made new. And so let's be part of this. Let's participate with Jesus in his redeeming work of this world. To conclude, my point that I made earlier was this. Our reputation is our evangelism. If that is true, how should this reputation look like? First, we need to be well informed by Scripture and directed by the Spirit. Now, this is an ongoing endeavor, it never stops. We should not convince ourselves that we know it all and think that our convictions of what is right and wrong is set in stone, that we think we're completely right. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit's counsel, which may include inviting different Christian voices so that we can support what is truly good that our governments are doing. Because if we judge too quickly and crassly without being well informed… We may be doing evil as opposed to doing good, and I'm looking at those folks who are anti-everything. Second, be involved in your community and be the first to take advantage of the opportunities to do good. We have to be the first to respond in prayer and support when we heard about the Lytton fire over in Lytton, B.C., We have to be the first to respond in confession and repentance when when we heard the first news of the findings of indigenous children's graves underneath the residential schools. We need to be the first to respond when we hear about injustice, about uh, people dying, about about people losing their lives with COVID. We We need to be the first to respond and rebuke to our Christian brothers and sisters who may be defying COVID rules or defying the governing authorities. We need to act we need to take advantage of the opportunities to do good basically we need to corner the market of loving our neighbor and lastly in light of that love everyone including our governing authorities especially those we did not choose or elect for they are servants of who god has appointed to maintain order and keep evil away amen